0: I said this the first service, too. Next time Brad asks me if I'm going to preach, I'm going to say, sure. And then I'm going to go shoulder tap a bunch of kids and say, you guys come on up and speak. <laughs> Super powerful. And I learned a new word. We have a vestibule. We have a vestibule. <laughs> All right. In the vestibule. <laughs> Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Shar, and I am the family life pastor here, and I've been in that role for a little over a month, um, but I'm not new here. I've spent the last a little over 10 years serving as the care and connect pastor. So I'm looking forward to a new thing here, and I'm not just in my role, but in the building and in so many other things that are happening. Um, Alpha on Wednesday nights, there's a lot going on at this place. It is so exciting to be here at this church right now in this season. Um, I feel like we should sing, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day. (laughs) It is snowing, and we are leaving to go camping on Wednesday. Yes. (laughs) So I get to share with you this morning, because Pastor Brad and I spent the, the first few days, Monday through Wednesday of this week, at a pastor retreat. And he decided to tack on a few extra days and spend some time reading and praying and studying. So that's an excellent use of time for our pastor. So grateful he had that time. We just have wrapped up a five-week series called Bless that focused on practical ways to love other people in Jesus' name. I don't know about you, but as a result of that series, I personally made a couple of decisions. Decisions that took me out of my natural rhythm, my comfort zone. And resulted in my taking steps to intentionally bless someone who's difficult in my life. Um, God is good. God is good. So this morning marks the beginning of a new series that's going to take us through the next four weeks or so. And it's titled Prayer Colon Life. So in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about ways that prayer intersects with our daily life. Before I start, I just want to say one thing that came to me yesterday, and I asked his permission to call him out. Kevin Zanker, can you either raise your hand or stand? So, Kevin Zanker did something last week. He ran the Twin Cities Marathon. I know there are a number of people in this room who ran the Twin Cities Marathon. Kevin had been asking for months for people to pray for that, not to bring Kevin glory, um, but to bring God glory. He ran for Team World Vision and raised a gob of money, and he's been doing this for a while. So... We've been praying for Kevin. Um, And bonus, not only did Kevin run the Twin Cities Marathon, but he finished 78th overall and first in his age group. First. And I know Kevin doesn't want any glory for that, and I know that he would say when you congratulate him, to God be the glory, to God be the glory. So we pray, and God is glorified in, in what you do. So thank you for using your gifts for God's glory. All right. so the topic of prayer. I just want to start by saying that this topic um, is probably landing on a variety of ears this morning. I just want to acknowledge that. Many of you in this room could no doubt preach a better sermon on prayer than I could. Your lives are immersed in prayer. Your days begin and end and middle in prayer without fail. In short, your time with God is the absolute cornerstone of your life. Others of you might pray out of habit or routine, using the same words every time, before meals, at bedtime, when you hear bad news, or you have a decision to make. Some of you don't pray because you don't feel like you know how to pray, or you don't feel like you're as spiritual as other people, um, and you wouldn't even know how to begin. If we're perfectly honest, some of you don't even want to pray because you've just, you're just plain mad at God for not answering a particular prayer in the way or the timing that you wanted it answered, which makes you wonder if God's even there, and if he is, if he even cares. And there are chances that there's someone here this morning who isn't even sure about this Christianity thing to begin with, or who thinks of prayer as nothing more than a cute sentiment or a nice thought, Well-intended, but ultimately powerless gesture, similar to sending good thoughts or good vibes to someone. Wherever you're at this morning, I invite you to listen with an open mind and an open heart, listen for God's invitation to you. So we're going to cast a wide net this morning and set the table for the weeks to come by tackling a broad question, what is the nature of prayer? But before we go any further and talk about prayer, let's pray. Father God, you alone are holy. Your character is holy. Your very name is holy. We bring to you this morning all of our cares and worries, hopes and dreams, joys and sorrows, reminding ourselves that in all things our greatest desire is for your will to be done. You alone know what's best, and you alone can see both short-term and long-term, past, present, and future clearly. Increase our faith so that we're able to trust you in all things, Align our hearts and our minds to your will, forgive our selfish desires, and guide our thoughts, words, and deeds today. Enable us to say with confidence, for all that has been, thank you, and for all that is to come, yes. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So what do we mean when we refer to the nature of something? When someone asks about the nature of a thing, they're really asking, what's it like? Tell me about it. How does it work? How does it behave, act, react? That's what we're going to explore this morning in broad, sweeping strokes. What is the nature of prayer? The who, what, when, where, why, and how of prayer. Who does it involve? What does it look like and act like? Why is it important? And what does it do? I think sometimes those of us who have been in the church a while describe things like prayer using such complicated and theological words and constructs that it's hard for others to even understand what we're talking about. So those who are unfamiliar or unpracticed might walk away thinking, I have no idea what she's talking about. I couldn't possibly talk to God like that. I'm not smart enough, spiritual enough, good enough. I don't know God well enough or at all and wouldn't even know where to begin or what to say. But really, that is the perfect place to begin. When we talk to God, we should approach him with deep humility and awe, fully aware that we are undeserving, but yet confident that God's love for us is greater than what we deserve or anything that we have done. See, prayer is not about me. It's about God. It's about connecting with God and trusting his character, his promises, his purposes, and his timing. So... The nature of prayer. We're going to start with the who and the what. Prayer is a conversation that takes place within a relationship. So, to start, a few thoughts about relationships. I want you to think for a moment about your closest friend, your best friend. Okay, you've got that person in your head. Have you spoken to that person in the last year? The last month? The last week? Maybe this morning? Why? Why do we talk to someone on a regular basis? What would it tell me about your relationship with your friend if I learned that you hadn't spoken in years or months or weeks? It's just natural to talk to your closest people regularly, isn't it? Nobody has to tell you to call so-and-so or encourage you to spend time together because you just plain want to. What would happen if you didn't talk to your husband, your wife, your child, your roommate, or a dear friend on a regular basis? What would that relationship look like in a month, a year, or ten years? Many of you know that I grew up in Duluth, so it was a treat for me that the retreat I was at this week just happened to be in Duluth. So in between retreat stuff, I was able to sneak in dinner and a hike with my son, our son, coffee, (laughs) Coffee with a college friend and a few hours with two of my oldest friends who date back to kindergarten and second grade. So, on one hand, time with these dear old friends is easy. We go way back and we have shared so much of life together. But on the other hand, so many years have passed since we saw or talked with each other on a regular basis. That the conversation remains somewhat surfacey when we only have a short amount of time together. It's full of catching up kinds of things. And don't get me wrong, those are precious conversations. But they're different from the conversations that I have with people that I regularly rub shoulders with on a regular basis. Frequency of conversation and shared life together make a difference, don't they? Well, the same is true of our relationship with God. The amount of time that we spend with him makes a difference. If we only talk to him occasionally and don't share daily life with him, our relationship won't grow. Other voices will take over and we'll miss out on the gifts that come from aligning our hearts, minds, and lives with God. Here's God's desire for us. In Zechariah chapter 13, we read, They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, These are my people, and they will say, The Lord is our God. We will call on God, and he will answer. That's conversation language, where both parties speak. God's desire is that we claim our identity as his people, and he will walk beside us as our God, promising to be present with us, to talk with us, to walk with us daily, to be the centerpiece of our lives. He longs to be our confidant, our support, our strength, our cheerleader, the one whose shoulder we can cry on and the one whose ears we can vent to. And oh, what a sweet reality that is. Once God is a daily part of your life, and you're in the habit of both speaking and listening to him, you will come to recognize his voice in the most intimate of ways, and you will long for those precious times alone together. Your day will be off if you leave him out of it, and that's best-case scenario. So in the simplest of terms, this is what prayer is. It's a conversation conversation between a human being created in the image of the living God and the creative, ever-present, all-knowing, perfectly loving, living God of all that there is. We're talking about real people talking to a real God. It's a two-way conversation between two knowable and nameable entities. It's a conversation that takes place in the context of a relationship that grows and deepens over time. So does that mean that only people who are fully committed and identified as God's people can pray? Absolutely not. Because the truth is, every single human being is created by God in the image of God and is deeply loved by God. Every single one. Those who know God, those who don't know God, those who deny God, everyone. And the God image in each one of us, Longs to connect with our creator, the one whose image we bear. Bottom line, every relationship starts somewhere. My first conversations with Kirk were surfacy. We asked easy questions. We shared easy answers. And then over time, our conversations got deeper. We shared more intimately. We took more risks. And as trust grew and grace responded we came to know that we could trust the deepest parts of ourselves with each other. Friends, God is the safest friend you will ever know. But the most amazing thing is, this friend that we have in Jesus also happens to be the creator of the universe. (laughs) And that reality adds a whole new dimension to our conversations. Charles Spurgeon says this well when he says, True prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. A spiritual transaction. That's what distinguishes our times with God from the most intimate conversations we have with another human being. Kirk and I talk about anything and everything under the sun, the most intimate of things, and many of those conversations do include spiritual things. And yet, our conversations do not and cannot replicate my conversations with God because I'm not God and neither is my husband. (laughs) God's participation elevates our conversations to a holy level. So if you don't have a relationship with God, pray. If you'd like to begin a relationship with God, pray. If you have a relationship with God, pray to maintain that relationship. Prayer both begins, develops, and deepens our relationship with God. He's there waiting to hear from us. So our second point, the where and the when. So, I'm actually not going to talk about this. What I'm going to say is we can pray anytime and in any place. That's what happens when God keeps working after the slides are due. (laughs) So, first, the when. When are we to pray? Psalm 5, verse 3 says, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. The psalmist who penned this psalm describes the attitude that we should have when we pray, and that's one of eager expectation. We should believe that God will answer our prayers and then actively watch for his hand at work. When we pray early in the day, we have the rest of the day to prepare for God's answer. I've certainly found this to be true. Just about every morning, my routine includes a cup of coffee and one of four devotional books or journals. But I have to be honest, there are days when I feel rushed or I oversleep. I feel like I have a ton of pressing things that I just have to take care of before I hop in the car and head off to work. So on those days, I don't get my time with God like I should, and I feel it. Those are days that begin with my feeling scattered, and the day often remains that way. By contrast, the days that begin with God leave me watching and waiting, expecting and looking for opportunities that God will provide. What a difference. But we're not just to pray in the morning and then call it a day. We're to pray without ceasing, all throughout the day. Ephesians 6, verse 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. On all occasions. All. There's nothing too big to bring to God, and there's also nothing too small. I came across a quote by Ray Stedman that speaks to this much more eloquently, eloquently than I can. Ray says, how many days, how many times each day do you have a need? How many times do you lack? That is the number of times you ought to be praying. Whenever there's an awareness of need, that's an opportunity to let the heart, the thought, the voice, whatever form prayer may take, lift immediately to God and say, "Lord, be merciful. God meet this need. My hope, my help, my everything is in you for this moment." It does not matter whether it is only tying your shoes or washing the dishes or writing a letter or turning out a paper or making a telephone call. Whatever the need, that is the season for prayer. So when do we pray? As often as we can. And now the where. Where are we to pray? So for my entire childhood, church took place in a beautiful old limestone building that my parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents had attended and followed a familiar liturgy, words that I had proudly memorized by middle school. At home, my family prayed at the appropriate times, often reciting the same memorized prayers at mealtimes and at bedtime. It was a wonderful foundation, and these words still come to mind often. But then when I was 21, I spent a summer working at a Bible camp in Kalispell, Montana, just south of Glacier National Park. To say that that is a beautiful part of God's creation is a vast understatement. It was there, surrounded by breathtaking mountains and clear glacier lakes, that my experience of both worship and prayer exploded, mind blown. Some of the most meaningful worship and prayer I've ever encountered were in that place, and it was much less formal and scripted than anything I had ever experienced before. Prayer was earnest and shared and deeply personal, totally unscripted. We served each other communion and washed each other's feet high up on a mountaintop. God was near, and he spoke in fresh and deeply personal ways. Around that time, I came to know and love a song by Bruce Carroll titled Church in the Field. I'd sing it for you, but I won't. You're welcome. (laughs) Instead, I'm going to read some of the lyrics. The sky was one vast ceiling that vaulted out in awe down the starry stained glass windows of sunsets and of dawn and out of doors Cathedral, day by day revealed. I remember church in the field. I prayed there without thinking. I worshiped from no pew in flashing wild thunderstorms and roses fresh with dew and to mysteries and music always just concealed. I remember church in the field. Mere religion hadn't tamed me yet. My reverence was all real. I remember church in the field. I share this with you because that summer and these words marked a significant shift for me in my framework regarding where and when to pray. I came to know and to experience the freedom of prayer in spontaneous ways and in various places. In the middle of the woods, while driving to the laundromat early in the morning on a canoe in the middle of a lake, God became bigger to me that summer, bigger than church, bigger than devotion time, bigger than Bible study. He began to become personal to me, and I was learning I didn't need anybody else around in order to pray. I began to learn that my relationship with God was unique and that I could bring anything to him at any time and in any place. And as my relationship with God deepened, my prayer life forever changed. So where and when are we to pray? Absolutely anywhere and at absolutely any time, continually morning, noon, night, every time in between, and wherever we are. So the why and the how. Why do we pray? How do we pray? We pray for God's will to be done in Jesus' name. Why do we pray? Or in other words, what does prayer actually do? What's the point? Well, we've already established that we pray because we desire or enjoy a relationship with God, and that we can pray anytime and anywhere, and so we pray for everything under the sun. Sometimes our prayers are answered in miraculous ways, but sometimes God appears silent, the solution remains a mystery, or a specific prayer doesn't get answered, at least not in the specific way that we asked for. I'm guessing either you or someone close to you has experienced the bewilderment that comes when we've prayed for something, something good, and exactly the opposite of what we prayed for happens. The job was lost, the house foreclosed, the child turned his or her back on God or the family, the healing didn't come, the spouse left, the loved one died. What then? Why pray? Too often we view pray as an opportunity for us to tell God what we want, and then we hold him accountable to do just that in the way that we want and in the timing that we want. We ask God to miraculously heal a 33-year-old wife and mother of a 2-year-old and an infant, and then we stand by helplessly watching her die. We pray for a loved one to turn from sin, and it doesn't happen during our lifetime. We pray for a relationship to be stored, and he or she walks away. What then? Does God become the bad guy? Do we get angry and turn our backs on him? How do we make sense of those moments in light of God's promise in 1 John chapter 5? This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. According to His will. For a follower of Jesus, this is the center of all things. As we pray for anything and everything, we need to hold our mindset loosely. We think that we know what is right, what is best. But we are not God. God alone knows what's best, and we can trust him with anything and everything. Notice it doesn't say, if we ask anything according to his will, he will give us exactly what we ask for. No. (laughs) But we are assured that he hears us, he is present, and his grace and his love are sufficient for anything that will come our way. Here's the deal. We don't know what God knows. We don't see what God sees. We don't always know what's best. And we can't see the big picture of all of creation, past, present, and future. Terrible things happen in our world. And this is because we are living in the middle. The kingdom of God is here, in part. And the victory absolutely belongs to God. But we're still waiting for the culmination, for that day when sin will be banished forever. But in the meantime, sin is still present. And powerful in our world. So why then do we pray? Let me suggest that we pray above all things to submit our will to God's will. That we ask God to move and then we trust that he will. We ask him to guard our hearts and minds and to give us strength to endure whatever will come. As well as the ability to praise him in the middle of whatever outcome takes place. Knowing that in the end, the forever eternal end, he wins. And we do too. We boldly ask for miracles because we know he's in the miracle business, but we also know that he doesn't always work in that way. Soren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher and theologian, puts it this way: Prayer does not change God, but it prays him who prays. It changes him who prays. Prayer changes me, molding my will into God's will, and that changes the world. But don't take my word for it. We need to look no further than Jesus to see that he both taught this and also modeled this. We read, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. So why do we pray? To align our will with God's will. To align our minds with the purposes of God, for us individually and for the world. We pray because prayer shifts our thoughts and attitudes and allows us to see and accept God's perspective on things. We pray to remain connected to God in the midst of daily life regardless and we pray because we have no power apart from God to do anything. It is God who wills and acts according to his perfect will. Even Jesus, Son of God, God himself, prayed in this way, knowing that he was heading toward a painful time of suffering and death. In Matthew chapter 26, we read, He, that's Jesus, went a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Do you hear that? Jesus begged God to provide another way, a way that didn't include suffering. And yet, he submitted his will to the will of the Father. And suffer he did. And in that suffering, God's perfect will was done. And everything was changed forever. So a final comment regarding the how of prayer. How are we to pray? We pray in Jesus' name. Why? Because the name of Jesus is powerful. God's word is clear about the power to be found in the very name of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lest you doubt the power to be found in, in the name of Jesus, listen to this story. I recently had a conversation with a friend, and she shared part of her story with me. Years ago, when she was a young wife and a new mom, she was physically assaulted in a parking lot in broad daylight just after she had buckled her baby's car seat into the back seat of the car. People who heard her cries and saw her struggle later said they thought it was a domestic and they didn't want to get involved. She was stabbed repeatedly with a drill bit. And based on what police later found out this man had done to another woman, she would likely have been raped and killed. But she wasn't, praise God. Why? Because in the midst of the struggle, and struggle she did, she looked this man in the eye and in a strong voice said the only thing that she could think of. She said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave me alone. And the man stopped. He looked at her in bewilderment, and he fled. (laughs) Praise God. This is a true story, people. If you don't know what to pray, just say the name of Jesus. There is power in that name. So let me close with one final question what would happen if we don't pray? Matthew 26 says, Keep alert and pray. Otherwise, temptation will overpower you. For though the spirit is willing enough, the body is weak. You see, apart from God, we are not able to withstand the temptations of the world. Our own will will increasingly find its way, and that is not a good thing. If we're not spending time talking with God on a regular basis, our relationship with him will suffer. We'll miss out on his plans and purposes for our lives. We'll miss opportunities to experience God's peace, to receive and extend his grace, to participate in what he's doing in the world, and to fight the enemy of this world. As we close, let's review quickly where we've been this morning. The who of prayer is God and us in a relationship. The what of prayer is a conversation, a spiritual transaction. The when of prayer is always. The where of prayer is anywhere and everywhere. The why of prayer is that God's will be done. And the how of prayer is in Jesus' name. I'm going to close by praying a prayer written by Ray Stedman that captures my heart this morning. I hope it captures yours too. Let's pray. Holy Father, help us to take these words seriously this morning. They are not intended merely to entertain us or even to instruct us, but to change us, to set us free, to make us live, to turn us from weakness and emptiness and barrenness and fruitlessness into truth and life and joy and warmth and power. We ask now that each one of us may, in this quiet moment, begin to live a life of prayer. We have no other help, but you are fully adequate. On this we rest, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we don't just talk about prayer. We pray. And we have a team of folks who will be right over there in that little nook, ready and waiting to pray with you, for you, around you. So please don't leave here if there's something on your heart this morning that you would like to to offer up to the Lord. And I am going to leave you with this benediction from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.